0: Let's go back to Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-eight, and let uh, me—I start like this. I I guess this is about the fourth or fifth of the week. I I, I am taking my time. I hope you're not bored to tears yet. I think, I think um, that we can we can conclude this uh, with tonight and two more, (laughs) and um, then. But you 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 have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that when a promise like this comes along in the scriptures of such immensity and profundity and such uh, widespread application, you, you need to be able to taste it. Gang, pain, suffering, uh, difficulty is a part of the human dilemma. It is a part of our lives, all of our lives. If you've not had it, it's not your turn. But it will be. Just relax. It will be your turn soon. And, and you know, I think it was Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche, who said that the... Um, the greatest evidence against the existence of God is the existence of suffering. There has to be a, a um, an understanding in the mind of the Christian about what's going on in the midst of my pain. Now, all of that to say, that's why I'm taking my time. I want you to know this text and enjoy it and drink from it and, and um, suck out the marrow of it. <laughs> that's rather... Um, I, I want you to love this text. You need to. You ought to. It's for you. It's for us. And when um, when it's your turn, it will be this that will give you... It, it will be this text that will allow you to sleep at night. It will be this text that will allow you... This and others like it. That will allow you to hang on. Or will encourage you to hang on. Um, I, I think I've told you this on numerous occasions, but... Um, um, I, I, I told you two weeks ago when I was here um, about there's been two real dark periods in my life. The one I, I told you about them both, but in the one that associated in around the 1985-84 uh, uh, period, um, my, my biggest proponent, my biggest advocate at that moment was a guy by the name of R.C. Sproul. He was he would call us uh, from all around the country. He came up to visit us. He was he was really trying to uh, walked me through the, the, the midst of the thing that that I was going through. And one night he called me on a Sunday night and I told him another development. And he said, well, Jimmy, here's all I can say to you. He said, dig your nails into the side of the wall and hang on. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you come to the place where you dig your nails into the side of the wall and hang on, you will want Romans 8.28. You will want to understand it, not simply quote it. You'll want to be able to feast upon the promise that's made to you. And I promise you, on the authority of this book, you'll have, you'll have your share. We, we live in a fallen world that is marred and scarred by sin, and we will get as much pain as any of us can bear. Count on it. And it's maybe it's just not your turn right now. I'm glad. it will be. So that's why we take our time. That's why I want to take our time as we look deeply at the promise. Um, Well, I, I don't the promise of all promises. That's probably not true because the promise of forgiveness for sin is probably the promise. But in terms of the Christians, the justified soul, here's the promise for the ages, folks. Here it is. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. That's what we're looking at. Let me let me uh, locate us again. That is uh, as to where we are in all of this. Uh, it might help in terms of you knowing where we are. What I what I, the promise is somewhat outrageous. That is that God would say that my human suffering is for my good, or works together for my good. He's not saying that the divorce is good. He's not saying that the alcoholic spouse is good. He's not saying the, the job loss is good. Those things are not good. What the good is to be found in what God is, is doing with them. What's he, what's he up to in the midst of those things? But in the midst of my suffering, it's hard to believe that this thing is or going to result in my good. And so, what I'm trying to do is give you reasons as to why, that, why you can believe that. You know, you, 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 you tell me, Jimmy Young, you go through this kind of pain and you tell me this is good. No, I'm not saying that the event is good. I'm saying I'm giving you reasons to believe that God is working good from it in you. We've mentioned three things up till now. Um, the first one we looked at is that in the midst of my pain, God uh reminds or awakens. You know, I, I, I fall into a spiritual slumber and so it's 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 kinda like um <laughs> this is kind of graphic, but um have you ever been playing around with your fingernails and, and you you tore one off a little bit too far down and you shouldn't have gone down there? And and you're just kind of idling, and you and you tear off a nail, and you know it's called tearing it off in the quick, you know. And all of a sudden you're and you and it's you're 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 awakened. It's like you're quickened, all right. It's down in the quick. Well, that's what pain does. It awakens. It reminds me. It gives me a. Um, and, I, and I mentioned three things under that. It gives me a, a real view of myself. I'm not the hot shot that I thought I was. It gives me a real view of my God and 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 how I need Him, and it and it shows me just how sub, uh, um, insubstantial and superficial. I think that was the word I used. Superficial is my life. I'm still volunteering at the Friends of the Pink Palace. You know, I've still, I've got uh, 80 years to live. You know, uh, Clayon said something today in a meeting that we were in. He said, um, you, know, um, you know, the promise uh, that says, uh, redeem the time, that if, uh, Ephesians 5, I want to say it's 18, but I could be wrong. But uh, redeem the time, you know, we were talking about time management in the staff today and and uh, we were reading this book together, and, and the, the issue of it comes up about time and managing your time. And, and Clay raised the issue. He said, you know, it's interesting. This author, he's, he tells us to redeem the time, but he doesn't give us but half the verse. Because half the verse is, redeem the time. And then the other half, because the text goes on to say, because the days are evil. Here's why you want to redeem the time. Because the days are evil. Don't waste your time at the pink palace. Because the days are evil. There's a, there's a lot of things and that, stuff that's got to be done. My goodness, redeem the time. And so in the midst of pain, we found out how superficial our lives are. The, the second... Um, um, uh, strain of thinking, I guess, I, that I'm trying to, in, in, in terms of supporting, why, how I can believe this is really good, is that it, is that pain shows me the real nature of this life. I'm going to put that all the real um, nature um, of this life. Why is it that we spend so little time thinking of heaven? Huh? Well, and, and putting it in vernacular, guys, um, what pain does is help me. It helps me cull away the insignificant. And it makes me fix upon the the fleeting nature of this life and the eternity that I'm uh, uh, aiming at. We're going to talk about that more a little bit later. But then the third thing we mentioned two weeks ago when I was here is that in the midst of pain, what God does is that He withdraws. He withdraws or withholds blessing or Himself so that we will discover just how great our loss is. And it will end up in our desiring Him more. And I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, for those reasons, your pain is good. Now, I want to add a fourth one tonight. This is all we're going to do tonight, is just look at number four. Because this is going to be a new thought for some of you, I I, I think. But in the midst of pain, ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, complexity, whatever you want to call it, there's a ton of words you can use, is that God authors a test. And He puts you in that, ladies and gentlemen, so that you can... Not so that he can find out what you're made of, but that so you can find out what you're made of. Now, let me, let me try to expand just this idea. First of all, the whole idea of God testing his people. The Bible says clearly that he does not tempt his people, but it does say that he does test them. You want to see that? I'd like to spend just a minute or two um, demonstrating the fact that God is up to putting his people in the midst of tests. You want to see that? Well, let's take a minute to take a look at it. How about, let's starting at Genesis 22. Um, You know the story, that that sacrifice of uh, Isaac on Mount Moriah, that whole big thing that goes on there? Well, the text opens up like this. It says, and after these things, God tested Abraham. He put him in a set of circumstances so that he could find out, so that that is Abraham could find out what was in him. We're going to come back to that thought in just a second, but I just want you to see, first of all, the 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 um, the issue that he tests his people. How about um, in Exodus 16? You remember I, I preached on Exodus 16 like four weeks. Uh, it's the whole manna story. Remember that? Well, um, in in Exodus chapter 16 verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Um, There's another one in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I mean, in fact, they're they're just very frequent in the Scriptures, but Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. Testing you. Um, the um, I, I guess the one that I I I, um, I, pre- I I like the best is in Psalm five. Excuse me, Psalm eleven, verse five. It simply says, "The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence." Well, the Lord tests the righteous. Well, if you're righteous, ladies and gentlemen, I got a, I got a news piece, of, a news flash for you. God tests the righteous. And he does it with a fair degree of frequency. There, there's another statement that, that I um, um, always like to allude to. is in Proverbs chapter 27, where um, <laughs> I don't like this. Uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 21 says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by the praise accorded him. Did you know that, ladies and gentlemen, that sometimes your victory, your success, and all the applause... Is a test. That is, a man is tested. Silver is for and gold are for fires. But what God does is that He, you know, He does that with money as well. That extra money that you came, that that windfall, ladies and gentlemen. Mmm. Better be careful. He tests by praise. He tests by uh, by money. There's a, you know, that wonderful statement in. Psalm 30, excuse me, Proverbs 30. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. The author of Proverbs says, don't give me that poverty and riches. He says, because um, uh, feed me with the food that is needful. Just give me what I need. Lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Don't give me poverty. But don't give me riches either. I I probably wouldn't do real good with them. Don't give me that. Because I'm afraid that what might come tumbling out of my heart is something that denies you. And I would say, I, I don't want to, because, I, I mean, if I got that much money, how why do I ever probably need here. Yeah. Don't give it to me. Because on occasion, ladies and gentlemen, it ain't a blessing. I know we don't think that like like that. Because, I mean, how could more money not be a good thing? I'm just telling you. The mind of the, of the biblical authors is that they don't want it. And praise is a dangerous thing. Because it begins a test. Now, gang, I said to you, that the test is designed. This is the other part of the thing I want you I mean, just, <clears throat> just the reality that God tests His people. The other part is this. This is not for His benefit. It's for yours. Ladies and gentlemen, if you suggest that the test is designed so that God can find out what's in your heart, then give up on your, your commitment to omniscience. You know what omniscience is, don't you? Um, science. <laughs> omniscience. Omniscience. Admissions means that God is all-knowing. Oh, He knows what's in your heart. But you don't. It's we who need to find out what's in there. And so, one of the things that God does in trial, gang, is that He uses tests so that we can see what's really in there. You know, um, we in the, at least in, the, in my world, I think you're in my world, at least a lot of you are, but theologically, we put a high premium on accuracy, which is a good thing. I mean, uh, in my world, handling the scriptures are right is, is uh, numero uno. So uh, after we've stored up all kinds of information about God, the teacher says, Okay, close your books. It's test time. You ever noticed, Do you remember back in the college days, I mean it's kind of hard for some of us to remember, but you remember back in college when it was test time? The teacher didn't say a word. The teacher doesn't talk to you in the test. He ain't got a word for you. Because it's test time. And it seems like he's gone out of the room or on break or something. Where did he go? But guys, in the midst of the test, the teacher is silent. Because the teacher wants... Wants to wait until the results of the test are all in. You know, we, uh, we, we, uh, we evangelicals, we, we talk about, you know, we're gonna obey God. We sit in that sanctuary out there and we hear that sterling preaching of Dr. Young's. And we say, alright, alright, Tess, I've heard what he said and I really like that. I didn't like last week, but I like this week and, uh, and, uh, you know, um I'm going to obey God. Heaven says, "You are, are you? Okay. Let's find out." Wham! You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a clause. In the Lord's Prayer that says, uh, lead us not into temptation. I read somebody, and I don't know who it was. I, you know, I I should write that down. But I I read somebody that took that, that clause in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. And he paraphrased, or at least, maybe it's not a paraphrase. Maybe it's in a piece of interpretation. I don't know what, but this is what he said about it. He said, what that says or what that means is this, and I'm quoting. He says, Lead us not into temptation. What that really means is, let there be nothing in my heart that needs to be brought out by a test. Oh God, don't lead me there. I I don't want there to be anything in my heart that's going to have to be discovered by test. Lead me not. I hope there's nothing in my heart about which I'm not aware of that it's going to take a test for me to find out that it's fair. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, people in, bank, people in prisons don't rob banks they sit in the prison and say, well, you know, I made a bad choice back then. You know, I shouldn't have done that. you know, when I get out, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rob no more banks. And then they get out. And they find out whether they're gonna rob any more banks. You know, um I allude to this often, but it was such a it was such a happy six years of our lives. We we love doing singles. Uh, for the six years that we were privileged to do them, and and um, but or to work with singles, we just we loved it. We loved it. But um, I remember there were all kinds of singles, both men and, and women. Well, let let me just concentrate on the women for the, but women who would say, you know, Doctor Young, I'm never going to marry a non-Christian. And I'd always say, good. We'll see when one when, when one asks you out. And we'll find out. Because it's easy to sit in the prison cell and say, I'm not going to rob a bank anymore. But people in prisons don't rob them. And so we find out just what really is in our hearts via the test. And unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, God does not have a sign that he holds up every time that he authors one and says, This is a test. I wish he did. But he doesn't. You know, I have to beware uh, about um, the kinds of things that I preach. For instance, um, I'm going to preach on forgiveness. I have to be very careful about preaching forgiveness. Because you can bank on it. Very soon or shortly thereafter, I'll find out whether I can forgive. Um, Money. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you think it's hard for you to listen to? It's hard for me to preach it too. I'd just about rather preach anything but on how you handle your money, because you get all defensive. But I'm not particularly concerned about what you do after I preach on money, because usually the one who gets examined is me. You know, the Bible says, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such you shall incur a stricter judgment. So don't start teaching stuff, ladies and gentlemen, until you're ready for the test. You know, have you ever thought, why is it that Jesus gave Judas the money box? (laughs) Why didn't he give it to Peter? You know, Peter's the guy in Acts chapter 4 that says, um, gold and silver have I none. Apparently, Peter... Peter was pretty much on top of this temptation of money thing. But Judas wasn't. So he got the money box. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed to tell, tell, share this with you. My wife will probably be ashamed, but I am not ashamed. I'm a very secure 57 year old. I love to eat on coupons. I love that buy one get one free thing. It just 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 tickles me pink. I don't even care what I eat, as long as one of us is free. You know, <laughs> feed me anything, but you know, give me a coupon. But I want you to know, if you handed me a coupon tomorrow, it gives, gives me free buffet at the casinos. It would it wouldn't bother me at all because that's not that's not where I have a struggle. But if you put me in a red light behind this cute little precious darling little Germantown housewife that's driving her big old expedition and she's just having a wonderful time. She just, want, just came all right off the tennis courts and she's cute as a bug's ear and, and just you know, got all liquored up and you know, she's just looking really fine. And, and if you put me in a car behind her and she's at a stoplight and the stoplight turns green and she doesn't go because she's talking on her silly cell phone, I have a problem. <laughs> that's, that's when I find out what's in there. You're not going to trouble me over an invitation to go to Tunica. The test for me is that and similar things to it. So you're going to obey God, are right? you? This is how we will. And ladies and gentlemen, that's good for us to know what's really in our hearts. God did not need to know it. It's me that needs to know it. I want to close. Um, I want to read you something. This, this story gets abused in the evangelical world, abused by it gets used so much. But everybody else uses it, so I thought I'd use it too. I mean, you know, if, they, if Chuck Swindoll can use it, I can use it. <laughs> um, in fact, many of you perhaps heard this thing before, but um, bear with me. It's, it's, um, it's germane, I think. Um, it's the story of the velveteen rabbit. Have You ever heard of that? It's a, um, it's a nursery book. In fact, I've seen the book. I think we've had it in our house on some occasion, um, but um, if you haven't heard this, I'm going I'm to read you just a little section out of the book. It's a book that you read your kids, you know, like the four-year-olds and down or whatever, and um, it's, it's a dialogue that takes place between a, um, a, a new toy rabbit and an old skin horse. Now, I don't know what a skin horse is, but that's what the book is. It's a dialogue. This book is a dialogue. Um, and, and I think the rabbit talks to other people too. Um, but it's a new toy rabbit, and he's dialoguing um, with a skin horse, a toy skin horse. And one night they're lying side by side, and the rabbit, the new toy rabbit, asks the skin horse and this is the dialogue that ensues the rabbit asks what is real does it mean having things that buzz inside you in and stick out handle real isn't how you are made said the skin horse it's a thing that happens to you When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, Most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter. They don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. What I think the skin horse is asking of us, ladies and gentlemen, is that we take a a long look inside, busy are you life full of all kinds of activities you're in a hurry all most of the time you know you you uh you, you're still spinning around like a, a hamster in some cage um Rarely do you ever slow down to ask, why have I given myself to something like this? Still reluctant to be loved? To be real? Do you still keep a distance from your own family members? Still substituting doing for being? Oh, that's a Christian pastime. Substitute doing for being. Gang, that stuff will never satisfy you. And you um I hope you realize that you can't play cover up forever. So here is what God does. He rubs you so hard that it hurts. And the end result is that we, perhaps, for the first time, are real. And I say to you, my friend in Christ. It's a good thing. I closed two weeks ago with this sentence. I'll close with it again. I cannot imagine having to go back and relive those two dark periods of my life. I shudder to think that I would have to go back and relive some of that. But I say to you also, my friends, I don't know what my life would be like without those two dark periods. And I, for one, think that's good. Father, I do pray that you will remind your people That you are not capricious, that you are not mean, that you you have never exercised or authored a test in us that was not designed for our good. Nothing, as painful as it was, nothing is pure bad because you are working it together for the good of those who love you and are the called according to your purpose. So, Father, for your people who ate tonight, might there be a feast for them in knowing that you have not left them, that you have not deserted them, that you are up to something altogether beautiful. You are making us real. You are drawing us to yourself. You are showing us what's really in our hearts. You are um, softening the stubborn. You're humbling the proud. And I pray, O God, that all of us, that You will work within all of us an ability to look at all that, as painful as it is, and see that it is good. We ask it, of course, In the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. Thanks and good night.